If you're, if you're joining us uh, for the first time uh, this morning, we're, we're in the middle of a series right now called The Drama of Redemption, in which we're taking 52 weeks to walk through the entire Bible. And so far, what we've looked at is, in the beginning of Genesis, we've looked at who is this God? Who is this God? And, and we see that this God has created all things. And, and as, as Pastor Robert talked about, he talked about God's original normal. Genesis 1 and 2 shows us what God's original normal looks like, but very quickly that is shattered by the entrance of sin in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve choose to disobey God's good commands. And from there, our friend Brad O'Brien, who's planting a church up in Baltimore next year, of which we hope that, that some of you will hear the call of God to go and join him and give your lives for the city of Baltimore. Brad O'Brien came in and took some big steps for us, helping us walk through the spread of sin in Genesis 4 through 11. And we looked at how quickly wickedness grew and spread in the hearts of men, while also showing that God had not forgotten the promise that he made in chapter 3 that sin and death would not be the final victors. And then last week, Pastor Robert introduced us to Abram or Abraham, and the amazing grace of God that came to Abraham to call Abraham to himself. And in the beginning of chapter 12 of Genesis, we see God telling Abraham, and not, not based on Abraham's merit or his good works or his shining personality, based on nothing that Abram had done, that God came and graciously said, I'm going to make your name great. I I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then he clarifies why. Abram was being blessed so that he could be a blessing. See, the grace of God that came to Abram was not to terminate on Abram. But rather, God was being gracious to him so that in, as it says in chapter 12, verse 3, that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you hear the call of our God to the nations? Do you hear that our God cares about all the families of the earth? And today we're going to finish out our time in Genesis by looking at the men known as the patriarchs, um, namely Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And, and as I told Raymond this week, my goal is to get us into captivity. Um, which is funny for those of you who've read all of this. Um, That just doesn't sound good, though. So uh, that's all right. Next week, Raymond's going to cover Exodus, and he'll get us out of captivity. Um, So this week, this week, this is what we're going to focus on as we look at the patriarchs. We're going to focus on God's faithfulness to His promise. We're going to focus on God's faithfulness to his promise, and that how if God is going to use these men to bless all the families of the earth, he is going to have to work on them as he works through them. God is going to have to work on them as he works through them. And here's how I'm going to approach it today. Uh, and this is, this is very different than anything we've, we've ever done here at Redemption Hill, so this might be the last time I get asked to preach. Um, I have to cover 
38 chapters this morning. Um, and as much, as much as I've tried to take the advice and the outlines and the styles of Raymond and Robert and Chris and, and others that I've talked to, um, I can really only do this my way. And, and I learned several years ago that God has not t- called me to tell amazing stories like Robert or to give three crystal clear points like Raymond or to uh, preach heart-wrenching, soul-searching sermons like Chris. He's called me to be faithful with myself, with who He's created and called me to be. And so today I want to do what, what I, I do. This is, just, this is how I do it. I just like to walk through the text. And, and the reality is I can't walk through 38 chapters uh, in the next uh, 38 minutes according to my clock here. Um, so I'm going to do it in two sermons. Uh, so if, if you want to stick around for the second service, it'll be a different sermon. This morning in the first service, we're going to cover the life of Abraham. In the second service, we're going to look at the life of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. If you can't stick around, please, that's all right. Audio will be online at redemptionhill.org. You can grab it there. And, and even if you don't do that, I just want you to just relax. Because here's the thing. The, the thesis, the, the central point, the driving thing that we're going to look at in the life of the patriarchs is consistent through all four of these men. And that is, God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His promises. And as He's going to work through these men, He's, af- he's going to have to work on them as well. So, you guys get Abraham. So let's look at Abraham and this great and glorious God that has graciously come and encountered him. So we left Abraham last week in Genesis chapter 12 where God called him to go into the land that I will show you. And the promise that God would make his name great and that he would make him into a great nation and bless all the families of the earth through him. And so how does Abraham respond? Well, Abram packs up his bags and heads out on a journey. And in verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine in the land was severe. And you'll notice that this is a common theme throughout the book of Genesis, this idea of famine and going into Egypt, uh, neither of which are usually good things. Um, But God often turns these difficulties into blessings, as we'll see. And while in Egypt, here in chapter 12, Abraham tells a half-truth about his wife, Sarai. Abraham, uh, fearing for his life, afraid that because his wife is so attractive that it'll just knock him off so that they can have his wife, he tells a half-truth and says that Sarah, Sarai is his sister. And now, we can debate about whether or not this is a good or bad idea, but suffice it to say that if God has promised to make you into a great nation, and He has promised uh, that He will be with you, you got to think that if God's going to make me into a great nation, I mean, just, just thinking naturally here, 
I'm not going to die. You can't make a great nation out of a dead guy. Also, you got to think that having a wife is pretty important to this plan. I mean, this is just, right, everybody's, everybody's on that same page? Okay, if not, we'll talk later. So you got to think having a wife to have offspring through which all the world will be blessed is important. But it seems that Abraham is slow to recognize how great this God is that has called him. Can God really protect me and my family from Pharaoh? Is he greater than Pharaoh? He promised to make me into a great nation but, and, and to make my name great, but, but how can he do that if I'm dead? Perhaps I should take matters into my own hands. It seems that God will have to work on Abram, Abram as he works through him. But have you ever said something like that? Surely God can't do this. Surely, surely God can't forgive me of this again. But indeed, God is great, and indeed, He is faithful to His promise. And it says in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 12, it says this, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? And why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God delivers Abram. He shows himself faithful and strong. He indeed is a great God. And surely, surely that's enough for Abram, right? Well, we reach chapter 13 and Abram and his nephew Lot who was traveling with him, their, their, uh, their herdsmen's getting a little bit of a tiff. There's too many of them and they kind of part their ways and Lot decides to head east, settling towards the city of Sodom where the Bible notes in verse 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked. They were wicked um, Great sinners against the Lord. And after this, God continues to speak to Abram. Isn't God's grace and mercy amazing that He would continue to speak to him? And He lets him know in verse 16 that I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now let's just stop and take a trip back to Genesis 1 and 2. God made the dust. God can measure the dust in His hand. He knows the number. And He says, hey, hey, Abram, just look at the dust, man. Just look at the dust. I made it, and you can't even count it. I got you. How great, how great is this God that's calling Abram. God graciously speaks promises to Abram. I mean, what, what must... What, I mean, am I the only one who, when it reads like God said to Abram, that you're like, what was that like? Like, 
you know, Charlton Heston, booming voice, you know, what, I mean, what, was there, was he asleep, was he awake, was he just walking around, all of a sudden there's this voice echoing? What must that have been like? And, and, and not only that, but how could you not hear this voice of this God who has created all things and not be like, okay, like, I, yes, I will follow you, I will do what you say, I will trust you completely. How could it not incite great boldness and faith and courage? How many of us, if we're honest, have said, God, if you just, if you just tell me, just speak to me, and I'll believe. Just, just tell me, God. Tell me what you want to do, and I'll do it. I'll believe in you if you show up and speak to me. For those of you that would, would say that, I would encourage you to just jot down Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, or just chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And go and read that because indeed God has spoken to you. God has spoken. In fact, since some of y'all are already turning there, let's just go real quick. Hebrews chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us. He has spoken to me and He has spoken to you. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed as the heir of all things through whom He created the world. God has indeed spoken to you through His Son, Jesus, and He is the one with whom you have to deal. Back to Genesis. Chapter 14. Uh, we see Abram, Abram's nephew, Lot, um, becomes captive because of some wars in the region. And Abraham mounts up his trained men and he goes and, and, and delivers, delivers his nephew Lot. And they're victorious. And, and, and I wish I had time this morning to talk about the grace of God and the mercy of God extended to Lot because of Abraham. But we'll leave that for another day. And upon returning, Abraham is greeted by a guy named Melchizedek. And I mention that because it's a fun word to say. And it says in verse 18 that, that this, this, this guy Melchizedek was actually priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek blesses Abram. And Abram ends up actually giving a tenth of everything that he has to Melchizedek as a priest of God Most High. And then in chapter 15, God again speaks again, again, again. He speaks to Abram. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, for I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, Abram knows what God has promised up to this point. He just doesn't understand how God's going to do it. How, how will this great God fulfill His promises if... 
how, God, how can you do it if? And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside. And I love that the Bible says that. So God has him there and he's having this vision and, and God brings him outside. I got, I've got a couple kids and every now and then I'll, I'll walk into their room and then I'll walk out and I will, I will bring them to their room to show them that it does indeed need to be cleaned up. I got to show, come here kids, I got something to show you. You said it was clean, but let me show you something. God says, Abraham, I got something to show you. And he brings Abram out. He brings him outside and he said, look towards the heavens and number the stars. Number them. Start counting. If you're able to number them. God takes him out to look at the stars and says, look at how great I am. Look, with, the very, with my very words, I flung stars into the sky. I made something exist that does not exist, and you so much as can't even count them. Counting is easy. Counting is easy. And you can't even count what I create with the very word of my power. If I am this great, God is saying, trust, trust, trust that I will do what I say. And it says in verse 6, and Abram believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. There's, there's no time to, to really stop here very long this morning. But let me simply point out that Abram is counted righteous or right or made right before God, made acceptable before Him based on one thing, and that is that he believed. It wasn't his works, the things that he had done, that made him right and acceptable before God. Because as we've seen and as we will continue to see, his works aren't always that great. But it is based upon his faith and what God has said. You can read more about that later this afternoon when you crack your Bibles open and go to Romans chapter 4. Better yet, let's, let's just continue in this chapter. Because after this, we read about a covenantal ceremony that God performs with Abram. And, 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 and covenant, it's a fun, fancy theological word that we can just, we'll just boil it down to this. A covenant is a promise. It's an agreement. And, and in the ancient Near East, um, the, the, the tradition of covenants was essentially there was always a stronger party and a weaker party. And they would enter 
into an agreement, and whenever they went into these agreements, there was always some sort of sacrifice that took place. And as you read here in chapter 15, you'll see that Abram goes and he takes some animals and he actually sacrifices them and cuts them in half and lays them out on the ground. And in the ancient Near East at this time, in in covenantal um, uh, agreements, essentially these sacrifices worked as a visual reminder of what happens if you break the covenant. Is essentially the stronger party and the weaker party coming together and saying, these are our terms, these are something that we agree to, and if you break it, that's what's happening to you. You break this covenant, and you're getting cut in half. The fate of the animal would be the fate of the one who breaks the covenant. But what is absolutely breathtakingly amazing here is that God is the obvious stronger party in this equation. But what you see is that he actually puts Abram to sleep and God stands in Abram's place also. And in this event, God is saying, it's all on me. Truly, truly, this is a great God indeed. And he is saying it's all on me. Do you, uh, do you ever find yourself working really hard to try and work your way to God? Have you ever made a, uh, a checklist of all the things that you need to do to get right with God? Do you think, if I just would pray more, if I would just read my Bible more, if I would just cuss less, stop looking at porn, if I finally got control of my anger, if I was just a nicer person, then God would accept me. Then maybe God can forgive me. Do you really deep down believe that your acceptance before God is all on you. On the cross, Jesus says as clearly as he can, it is all on me. Look to Jesus, friends. Place your faith in him like Abraham and be counted as righteous. And now, by, by this point, you probably think, you know, Abraham has it all figured out, right? God is great, and he, will, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. But God will continue to work on Abram as he works through him. And we enter into chapter 16, and now Sarai, Abraham's wife, uh, comes to him. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened 
to the voice of Sarai. I find it interesting that it doesn't say, and Abram did what Sarai said. Rather, it said he listened to her voice. Abram has now on multiple occasions heard and listened to the very voice of God. But here he listens to another voice. And a voice that, at at least in, in her day, sounded reasonable. A voice that had an okay idea. But does he listen to the voice of God? How often do we listen to the voices around us screaming for our attention and ignore the very voice and promises of God? Voices that scream, a bigger house will make you happy. A a promotion will get you the fulfillment that you desire. Just follow these six easy tips and you'll have great kids. If you wear these clothes, someone will love you. But what does God's voice say? What are God's promises that He will be faithful to keep? Abram, like in Egypt, doesn't fully rely on the promises of God and and he attempts to take things into his own hand and the result is the birth of Ishmael. And now he has a home filled with strife. Thirteen years pass and we get to chapter 17. And this great God appears again, renewing His covenant, His promise to Abram. Again, merciful God continually working on Him as He works through them, continually repeating His promises. And, and let me just say, we need to repeat God's promises to ourselves. We are so forgetful. I am so forgetful of His promises. I mean, for me, one of the things that, that I realized I just needed to do is, is I just need to remember what Jesus has done for me because I am so quick to forget. And I just went out and I grabbed a notebook and now every time that I read my Bible, whenever I come and I see a work that Jesus did for me, I jot it down in this notebook and I carry it around my back pocket and I, every day I take it out at some point in the day and I just begin to read through these things. I read that He Himself bore my sins and His body on the tree. That I might die to sin and live to righteousness. I read the promises that He has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom I have redemption. The forgiveness of my sins. And on and on. We need to remind ourselves of the promises of God. We need to put them before ourselves because like Abraham, we can be quick to forget. And it's here in chapter 17 that that Abram gets a name change to Abraham and God changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Whenever you encounter God, something about you will change. And many of the same promises are repeated, but there's one sentence here that I really want to point out and highlight, and that's verse 7 of chapter 17. 
God says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The greatest blessing that Abraham gets out of all of this is that he gets God. And the same is true for us. Jesus didn't die on a cross for you to have a better life, a better car, or to make you nice. The greatest blessing of the covenant and the greatest blessing for us, the blessing of Abraham, is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we get God. We get back to the garden. The relationship between God and man that was broken in Genesis chapter 3 is restored. We get to eat from the tree of life. And in verse 15, God clarifies to Abram very clearly because he didn't quite get it, so God graciously will speak as clearly as possible. And in verse 15, he clarifies that it will be through Sarah that the offspring through which the covenant promise will come. And at the ripe old age of 90, when the Scripture later puts it of Sarah that the way of the woman was no longer with her, God is going to show that just as He can fling stars into the sky, He will be faithful to His promise. Abraham and Sarah had tried to take God's promise into their own hands, but God's plan had not failed. He is showing that He will keep His promise. He continues to work on them as He works through them. And in chapter 18, God shows up and has a meal with Abraham. And the Lord again confirms in a very very clear way that Sarah would have a son. And then the Lord heads off to Sodom and He lets Abram know that in verse 20, He's going there because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. And he says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And here we see Abraham begin to intercede or to just just to pray for Sodom. And mostly it's because he knows that that's where Lot is. And as we've mentioned before, Notice the mercy of God extended to Lot because of Abraham. But can I ask, can I ask us today, how often do we pray for those on the edge of destruction? How long, how often do we look around at those figuratively on the edge of Sodom and pray that God might deliver them? And the result of Abraham's Abraham's prayer is that God actually does indeed spare Lot. Uh, In chapter 19, despite a lot of obstacles, when you go back and read the story, He does spare him. And in Sodom, we see mercy and wrath. We see grace and judgment. As Brian pointed out a couple weeks ago, sin is indeed serious. And Lot, in many ways, kicking and screaming against the mercy of God, ends up leading his family, as he always seemed to do, away from God. And you can read about the result of his actions at the end of chapter 19. And can I just encourage you, as you sense the grace and mercy of God, 
Don't kick and scream against it. And in chapter 20, Abram proves again that he's still a knucklehead. And he repeats his sister-wife lie with Abimelech. But God again is merciful and faithful to his promises and he delivers them. He continues working on Abraham as he works through him. Finally, in chapter 21, the promised son is born. There's two items I want to note here. First, I want to note the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Now remember, they're, they're old at this point. I mean, they, they are advanced in age. And as we said, uh, Sarah was past age um, of bearing children. But Isaac isn't like Jesus in his conception. Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, was a virgin. Um, but Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, uh, their faith in the promises of God required certain action on their part in order to have a baby. And they believe God. And in faith, their faith overflows and it works out in their lives. And also I want to note that God was not slow to perform His promises. He was not slow to perform His promises. And how often do we think that, that God is, is tarrying too long when we pray, when we seek Him? We pray and we want the answer immediately. I know I do. When I'm going through a tough time, man, I, I'm, I'm on my knees, I'm praying, and I want that answer now. But God is not slow. It was 25 years from when Abraham was first called and given the promise to when God gave him the son through which that promise would come. Can you hold on to the promises of God in faith for years without seeing the results? Do you believe in that great and faithful God? Abraham and Sarah proved that it was not easy. They blew it multiple times as we have seen, but they continued even in their weakness to trust in the great God who had called them as He worked on them and through them. They learned that God is great so they don't have to be in control. They learned that God is great and they don't have to be in control. And God is great and them not being in control is played out finally in their life, in the life of Abraham in chapter 22. As he's asked by God to do what seems like the very undoing of everything that God had promised. He asks him to offer Isaac up to him as a burnt offering. And the feelings that go through your heart and your mind when you hear that are no doubt only inklings, only mere distant ripples of what would have assaulted the heart and mind of a father, Abraham. 
inklings. But Abraham had learned a lot in his 30 plus years of walking with God. He had learned that God is great and that Abraham doesn't have to be in control. And so in faith, he obeys. But I want you to see that God has actually changed Abraham. And how Abraham had learned that what God has promised, God will fulfill. God had promised that Isaac was the chosen one through whom would carry on this promised blessing. And so we read in chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Do you hear an echo there? Can you think of another only son whom the father loves? And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt sacrifice on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. No stalling, no arguing, no hitting the snooze button. He rises early, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, and pay, pay, pay close, close attention here. He said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And, and come again to you. He gets it. Abraham gets it. He doesn't fully understand it, but he gets it. God has made a promise, and God is going to keep it. And Abraham took the wood of, for the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And you hear an echo again of another son on whom had had wood laid upon his back. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife, and so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, 
both of them together. God indeed does provide a lamb. But in the case of this story, as you read, it's actually a goat. Perhaps, perhaps it's because there was another lamb that was still to come. Perhaps it's because one day the better and more perfect sacrifice would come. The one who would fully fulfill all the promises that God made to Abraham. The one who would truly pay the penalty for sin. The one who would take on himself the curse of the covenant breaker. And bring us all, all the families of the earth, into the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of being reconciled to God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He may bring us to God. This, friends, is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the blessing of Abraham. That Jesus is the better sacrifice. And that for those who believe and what He has done, those who believe the promise in 1 Peter 3.18, for those who believe in God like Abraham, faith in Jesus is the way into this great blessing. And I'm, I implore you, if you haven't trusted Jesus to bring you to God, let this let it be today believe that God is faithful to his promises for those of you that have a giant list of things that you've got to get right in your life before you come to God come now put down your list And trust that Jesus brings you to God. Just believe. For those of us today who who have believed, will you drop your checklist too? Will you stop listening to the other voices? Will you stop trying to control every area of your life and believe God that He is faithful? Will you allow Him to work through you as He works on you? Will you realize that you do not have to have it all together to follow Him? To hear his call to go and take the good news to your friends and neighbors, even though you don't know the answers to all their questions. We hear even his call to go to the nations.